Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Anyway, I'm going to welcome Simon. Thank you. Sorry, and with the lovely youth, please, can you follow Jake? <laughs> Have a great time. Yes, youth. It was great to see him. It was really good to see him. Yeah, I think it's on God's heart that students come here. I'm honest. I, I don't think, you know, we shouldn't think, oh, we're four miles away from university, I have to, have to get here. That's nothing in the economy of God, is it? And I think, I think we could be a fantastic church to help young people grow and become all that God wants them to become. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to welcoming students and seeing um, what God wants to do uh, with us and how we can bless them and serve them. So um, lots of the people who were, uh, came to Birmingham and a part of Birmingham Vineyard actually stayed and went on to have significant roles in the city, significant roles of responsibility and influence in the city. So if we can... If we can so into young people, the, the, the results can be exponential in terms of their influence and their effectiveness. Um, so, uh, yeah, please be praying that, that God will send us the right young people and we can serve and bless them. Well, I felt the Lord wanted us to linger in John 4. So um, if you've got your Bible um, or your phone or your device, let's go to John 4. Um, so I sat down to prepare my next talk in this series. I felt the Lord just said, no, I want you to linger at the well. I want you to stay there in John 4. And there's some more stuff I want to speak to you about. So that's where we're going to go again today. So last week we introduced John 4 and we looked at the whole story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. If you missed that, as always, you can catch up on our podcasts or our website. I do encourage you to try and catch up because um, we're we're living a story here, a a God story, a narrative that we're trying to work through together. And so if you miss a piece, um, it's like you missed an episode, which you need to go back and catch up on. So I do encourage you. Uh, to do that. Uh, we believe that what we do on a Sunday through the Word is transforming us and changing us. So uh, I encourage you, you missed last week, go back and, and have a listen. We talked about this new normal that Jesus was trying to convey. Uh, he was trying to convey that to the woman he met at the well. He was trying to convey that to the disciples. He was, he, Jesus makes all things new. That's what the Scripture tells us. You know, if, what's Jesus making new in your life at the moment? Because he's always making things new. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you should always be on the cusp of something new in your life. Whether it's a a new understanding, whether it's a new healing, whether it's a a new challenge, whether it's a new relationship. Jesus is continuing to make things new. And that's what's so exciting about Christianity, if you get right down to it, is the fact it's a dynamic faith. It's not a static faith. It's not an enshrined faith. Um, my son's in Rome at the moment. We went to Rome, um, uh, was it last year or year before? I can't remember. Two years, ago. Two years ago. And Rome's an amazing place. But everything is enshrined in the stonework, in the buildings. And it, you get this sense of things being, yes, they are incredibly impressive, but they're kind of static. And, and, and Jesus was this lightweight God <laughs> who we follow after. We kind of get on the coattails of him. We kind of run what he did at the well was he, he began to convey the sense of the kingdom is coming he says, he says, the kingdom is coming and has come. It's a wonderful explanation of this dynamic nature of the kingdom is arriving, has arrived, but hasn't yet arrived. 
When we went uh, on to Paris on the, on the Eurostar, that is a long train. And so when it pulls into the station, you see it coming down the track, and you think, here comes the Eurostar, and then it starts to go past you. And you get a ticket with a coach number. And we were on the last coach. And I reckon we waited five minutes for this train to go past. You know, the train was coming, it had come, and it was still coming, because our coach hadn't yet stopped in front of us so we could get on. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's coming. You can see it coming down the tracks. It is in front of you when the kingdom of God breaks out, but it hasn't yet arrived in all its fullness. And that's what Jesus was trying to explain at the well. There's a new normal that's happening here, and it's changing everything. It's changing everything. The way you perceive God, the way you perceive life, the way you perceive yourself, it's changing everything. And that's what's so amazing about Christianity, because God is making all things new. And so I challenge you every week to say, God, what are you making new in my life this week? What is changing and being transformed by your touch, by the fact that your spirit is with me? Because Christianity should never become old to us. It should never become familiar to us. Because God is making this new normal. He's ushering in the kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. And we get to lead the the spirit-led life that we're talking about in this series. We get to be caught up in the things of God and carried along in the things of God. And that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting. A bit scary sometimes, a bit challenging sometimes. And the woman at the well and the disciples were faced with a number of things that day when Jesus began to expand the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom. They were challenged by the presence of Jesus. And that should always be the case. We should always be challenged by the Lord to to step into the new. So let's just look right back at the beginning of chapter 4. Uh, in John's Gospel. And the first thing I want to pick up from this is a very basic point, that being spirit-led is not contrary to common sense. Okay? Because sometimes we think being led by the Spirit is an excuse just to be weird. Okay? And I'm sorry, but it's not. Okay? We've been in ministry a long time, and we've met lots of spirit-led people and lots of spirit-led weird people (laughs) who use this umbrella of God's leading to just cover up a whole multitude of random behaviours that they say are God. And they're clearly not. They're clearly not God. You want to know the story of the emperor's new clothes? It's an old story, isn't it? These two tailors come through to a king and they promise him a suit that only the wise and the wonderful can see. And they're con artists and they make this suit. They don't make a suit, they just pretend to make a suit. And the king goes out in this beautiful suit and he's butt naked. But no one is willing to say, you're naked, apart from a young boy. Because everyone wants to appear wise and wonderful, therefore they'll pretend they can see the suit. Only the boy, in his innocence, says, the king's got no clothes on. And sometimes, when we look at church and way people dress up being spirit-led, it's clearly the king has got no clothes on, because what they're doing is nothing to do with the Lord, and nothing to do with being spirit-led. They're just using language to kind of dress that up. And so as we look right at the start of, of this chapter, let's get into this. We see Jesus. Uh, he's learnt the Pharisees... Uh, basically, they've, they've learned that he's gaining and baptising disciples. They've, they've learned that he's got a following that's developing uh, in the area. They've already managed to imprison John. John the Baptist is in prison. They've shut John down. But now Jesus is here, and people are coming to him and being baptised and becoming his disciples and responding to his message. And they're getting angry, and they're getting frustrated. And Jesus can sense the murderous nature of, the, of their presence. 
And he's not done this supernaturally. This has just come by word of mouth, most likely, by friends and disciples. There's a a rumble in the town. The, The Pharisees are getting really irate with Jesus. So what does he do? Does he call them fire on them? Does he ask God to airlift him to a new place? No, he simply walks to a different town. He simply says, it says in in there, right at the start of John's uh, gospel in chapter 4, he left Judea and went once more back to Galilee. He knew if he stayed in that area, he was going to encounter more persecution himself. And he also knew the disciples that were new and being baptised would also encounter persecution. He would act like a lightning rod, drawing the wrath of the Pharisees towards them. So he just responded with common sense. I'm going to go to a different town where it's going to be easier to minister. Often when we think about being spirit-led, we say, well, let's just leave common sense behind. Let's just leave common sense behind. I've seen it time and time again. Sometimes as believers, we make really poor choices in the natural, and then we expect God to come along and hoover it up supernaturally. I've lost count of how many times I had to tape my jaw shut in meetings when people said, I did this, this, and this, and then I expected this to happen. I'm going like, what? How? How did you expect that to happen when you made that choice about that, that person? When you went and spent all your money and expected God to come and fill your bank account? When you chose to have sex? And, oh, you name it. It's normally around money, sex, and relationships, but I can't talk about that here. But people make these bad, bad choices... And they expect God to somehow supernaturally make it all better. That's not what naturally supernatural means. That's not what being spirit-led means. It isn't about sowing bad choices and hoping God will somehow help you reap a a good one. It's not how it works. God is the great redeemer. He can redeem our mistakes. He can redeem the things that we fall short on. But being spirit-led is about losing all sense of reality. We see in Jesus here a very common sense response to a situation that was prevailing around him. He didn't say, God, please airlift me out of here. He he simply put his shoes on, walked about 75 to 100 miles to a different town. He made a choice physically and responded that way. See, God's given us these amazing things called brains. (laughs) And he's asked us to steward them and use them. You know, when you become a Christian, it do, you don't take your brain out and put it on the shelf. Even though it looks like some of you do, okay? <laughs> I've made some dumb choices myself. But sometimes we, we, we disconnect the natural and the supernatural. And we expect somehow uh, God to make it all right. Even though we're clearly making poor choices in the natural with the obvious things that are, are in front of us. And so you can steward wisdom. You can basically act wisely in the natural. And also you can respond in the supernatural. You can be a spirit-led people. But that doesn't mean to say you have to start acting weird or stupid or hoping God's going to somehow, you plant an orange tree and you expect an apple tree to come up. So I just want to start right off the bat that being spirit-led is not about losing common sense. It's not about losing that. It's really important as believers that we have good Wisdom. Wisdom, you could say, is skills for living. You know, we need to acquire good skills for living. The way we do life, the way we respond to life, the way we respond to situations. We need a good basis of insight and understanding of how to do that well. Because otherwise, non-believers look at us and think that we're balmy. You know, you did that and you expected that to happen. Well, clearly it's not going to. Well, God said, well, did he? 
And there are some times in the Bible when God asks us to do things that are contrary to seemingly common sense or wisdom, but they're, they're, they're atypical. They're not the normal things that we have to do. So I want to really encourage you to look to Jesus. Jesus, as he grew from a boy to a man, it says he grew in wisdom and stature. So he got taller physically, and he got bigger in terms of his wisdom. He got wise at how to do life. And we're called to do the same. We're called to grow, not necessarily in stature, but we are called to grow in wisdom. And so as we think about being spirit-led, let's try and grow also in common sense. Yeah? Is that a deal? Great. Okay. So let's push on to the next piece that we're going to talk about today. So Jesus went off to, off to Galilee. He, he, sorry, he, he took this direct route. Normally the Jews would go round Samaria because they didn't like the Samaritans. They would take this sort of circular route that was much longer. But Jesus went straight through Samaria to get to where he wanted to go. And Etz passed through this town called Sychar. And this is where he met the woman at the well. We said last week how they sat, he sat at the well. He was tired. The sobs went off to get some food. He waited at the well. And this woman came out in the heat of the day. Uh, to draw the water. They had to drive wells in this country because water was hard to find, a hot climate. So they drove these wells deep into the limestone hills to find the water that was stored underground. That's the well we're talking about here. That's that type of well. And it's actually Jacob's well. It's a significant well. It's a well that Jacob, uh, sort of a church father, kind of dug years before and was probably sort of, you know, held in high esteem. It was a a good well. It was still working well, 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 as a well. And... um, (laughs) That's where this engagement happened with Jesus. And Jesus offers this woman who's come out in the heat of the day to avoid social engagement because she's feeling uh, her identity's broken because of various broken relationships. And she's come out in the heat of the day and she doesn't want to meet anybody. She meets Jesus and he offers offers a living water. He says, you can have living water. And let's look at the response that she gives to Jesus. She says, sir, you've got nothing... Nothing to draw with. And this well is a deep well. It has to be deep to find the water right down the rocks. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. The woman looks at Jesus and determines that he can't make good on his promise. She says, how are you going to do this? You haven't even got a bucket. How are you going to get water from the well? You haven't even got a bucket. The the, The well's deep. How are you going to deliver on this promise to, to give me living water? And she asks him this question that we're all faced with. Are you greater than my circumstance? Are you greater than my situation? Are you greater, Jesus? Are you really able to deliver on what you promise? The well that she talked about, it's still there. It's inside a Greek Orthodox monastery now. This is Jacob's well. This is the well... Didn't look anything like this, obviously, at the time, but they put a building around it, and it's got some railings around it, and probably quite enshrined there. But it's there, it's still there, it still works as a well. It was a good well. It still is a good well. It served the town. It gave life to the town. And Jesus is offering something more significant. See, what the woman hadn't realised was there was a new source of life in town. That was Jesus. He was going to come and supersede how the well had provided life, naturally. There was a new source of life in town. And the well offered temporary relief from, with physical water, but Jesus was offering a much more permanent solution. A deeper thirst was present in the people, in the woman, than can be satisfied just by the water in the well. And what's really interesting is 
The woman talks of wells, but Jesus talks of springs. He says, springs of living water will well up inside you. And wells were great, but the difference between a man-made well and a spring was that man-made wells had a tendency to dry up. But natural springs didn't. So even the symbolism Jesus is using is that this well is a great well, but it'll be time you come to it and you won't find any water there. But if you find a natural spring, they tended to not run dry. They tended to always provide water. And so even by the language Jesus is using, he's saying, what I'm going to provide is better, is superior, even to Jacob's well. Even to Jacob's well. And so as we grow in being spirit-led people, we all, we're faced with the same question. Jesus, are you greater? Are you greater? Can you deliver on what you promise? Are you greater than my circumstances? Are you greater than my past? Are you greater than my doubts, my fears? Are you greater than my pain? Jesus, are you, are you greater? And as we respond to God's leading by his spirit, we find ourselves stepping into that vulnerability gap where we have to put that to the test. Is Jesus really greater than our situation? Is he greater than what we can provide as individuals? If I step out in response to your leading, Lord, will you be there? I've said before, John Wimber used to say, God invites us to jump off the high diving board and on the way down, he'll fill the pool. That's, that's the response that Jesus invites us into. Can you deliver, Lord, what you're promising to do if I respond to you, if I step out? You see, we all want the living water, but we all battle with shame and fear and rejection. If I move away from where I'm comfortable, will God truly be there? The author Brené Brown says that shame has two main accusations. And they are never good enough, and who do you think you are? And these are inner voices that we're all familiar with, aren't we? That inner voice says, you're, you're never good enough. You're never going to measure up. Someone's going to find out, actually, that you're a failure. You know, you're not who you say you are. And actually, who do you think you are to try and partner with God? Who do you think you are? You know, you just need to get back in line. You just need to basically calm down. You just need to not do the things that God's encouraged you to do. And so if we listen to these voices, we disqualify ourselves from being spirit-led people because we don't feel, we don't feel we're, we're valuable enough to do this. We don't feel like we, we're worth enough. But the truth is, allowing ourselves to become more vulnerable is the key to being spirit-led people, is the key to healing and transformation. The Samaritan woman in this story takes the biggest risk of her life you have to understand how many times people had let her down, how many times relationships had let her down, how many times men had let her down. And here she is talking to a man she shouldn't be talking to because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. And she's taking one of the biggest risks again to trust that this man can somehow provide water and he's got nothing to do it with. He's got no way of doing it. And so she says, Sir, give me this water. So I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is so vulnerable and risky for her. But to be vulnerable before Christ is where the real power is for us as followers of Jesus. It's where the real encounter and healing happens for us as followers of Jesus. It's where our story gets changed time and time again in these moments of response. 
And then this extraordinary thing happens. Jesus makes it harder for her. He says, go and get your husband, then I'll give you the water. And she's like, oh no. Oh no. Because the woman wants the water. Because it means she won't have to keep coming to the well. She won't have to keep risk meeting people. She believes Jesus will provide her a source of water that will mean she doesn't have to risk the social engagement she's so terrified of. She can avoid the whispers and the gossip and the embarrassment and the pain that came with her situation. But Jesus is not interested in partial solutions for any of us. He wants to bring us all into wholeness. And so he pursues us with this this love. And he comes and puts a finger on our pain and says, it hurts here, doesn't it? It hurts here. This is the thing that needs healing. This is the thing that needs changing. And so he targets the very thing the woman wants to keep hidden, her background, her past, her fractured relationships. And the woman kind of tries to duck out and says, I have no husband. I can't bring a husband. I have none. And Jesus says, you're right. The fact is you've had five. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. And he draws her fully into the spotlight of his love. And we don't want to be there, do we? Kicking and screaming, he draws us fully into the spotlight of his love and says, now, now, we can have an encounter. Now there can be change. Now there can be transformation because we've got down to the truth of your need and where you are as a person. What you've said is quite true. See, rather than pushing away from the Samaritan woman's pain, he, he pushes into it. And this is where we struggle sometimes with the activity of the Spirit in our lives. Because we don't want God to do that, do we? We don't want him pushing into our pain. We don't want that. But he does it. He's intent on healing her. He's intent on healing us. And Jesus knows that for shame to really grow inside any of us, it needs three things. It needs secrecy. It needs silence and it needs judgment. And these things are often present in our lives. We hide the things that we're, we're not proud of. We commit them to secrecy. And, we're, we're, and the enemy forces into silence. We don't want to talk about these things. And then we, we listen to that voice of judgment that continually comes. So Jesus puts his finger on these things and says, this is where I need to heal you. This is where I need to touch you. So when we hear Jesus' voice, when we the Spirit speaks to us, we can respond in a number of different ways. We can make an excuse. We're brilliant at making excuses why we shouldn't respond to God, you know, why we shouldn't push into that thing that we know the Lord's speaking to us about. We'll, we've got 101 reasons why we shouldn't do that. So we make an excuse. Or sometimes we just get angry. We get angry and defensive and we push back against what we know the Lord is saying. And that can spill out in our relationships or in different ways. Or we can respond we can respond to what the Spirit is leading us into. And the woman chooses the last one. She responds, she says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, that's me. So vulnerability is a real key to Spirit-led life. It's recognising that the one we follow is greater than our circumstance. It's greater than us, ultimately. Are you willing to say, God, you're greater than me? You're greater than me. Because that's where the rubber really hits the road. The one we worship, the one we follow. Have you come to a point where you said, yes, you are really, really greater than me? Because if not, you will live lives that centre around yourself, orbit around your own identity. You'll look to yourself to solve your own problems. But Jesus wants us to come to a point where we recognise that we worship someone greater. 
we've found someone greater. We've found the pearl that's worth selling all the other pearls for. The greatest pearl. He's greater than everything we can experience in our lives. Nothing is beyond him. Doesn't matter how tough things are, he is greater. And when you believe that, you kind of lean into him the whole way. You kind of lean into him the whole way. I've said before, when I abseiled down at a church spire in Birmingham, that the most scary bit was just the guy said, okay, lean back. And I was like, really? Lean back? And I was looking at the rope and the carabiners and the harness. I'm thinking, I've seen the films where all this falls apart, you know, cliffhanger, all just spaghetti, just opens up. <laughs> no, lean back. And a point comes where you have to let the rope take the strain. And many of us don't do that in Christ. We, don't, we still stay upright, and the rope's there of Christ's promises, and we don't ever really go, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to let that really tank my weight, because the one who promised is faithful. Are you greater, Lord? Are you greater? woman goes back to the town, and he says, many believed. I'm fascinated by that verse. What did they believe? Because today, when we talk about Christianity and faith and belief, we have to kind of say, you have to believe in something you can't see. You can't see Jesus here. You can't see God here. You can't see the Spirit here. So you have to, part of belief is believing in something you can't see. But Jesus was standing in front of them. They didn't have to believe he was real because he was there. He was physically present in the town. So their belief had nothing to do with Jesus. Are you real? Can I just touch you, make sure you're not a ghost? He was there, present in the town. So belief was something more than just mental assent to someone being actually a real person. It meant more. What did they believe? It says they believed this, that he was the saviour of the world. The saviour of the world. And this is where you and I have to get to if we're really going to allow Jesus to lead in our lives. He can't just be a person we admire. He can't just be somebody that we, we look to and appreciate. He can't be someone we read about and think he did good stuff. If we're really going to lean into God and trust him, then we have to get to the position where he's nothing less than the saviour of the world. Because unless he really occupies that place in your life, you're never going to be able to truly follow him. Why would you trust him? Why would you trust him with your life if he didn't occupy this position in your life? Why would you let someone lead you who couldn't surpass you? Why would you? It wouldn't make any sense. So unless we come to a place where we recognise that Jesus is greater and is the saviour of the world, we will never fully surrender to him. Because we'll believe that our own identity, our own thinking, our own ways are somehow better than his. Jesus came and said to the disciples, four months to the harvest. That's what you say, but I say now. I say it's here now. He was trying to convey a new normal to them. No longer did they have to wait, but there was a new reality. The kingdom was, had arrived in that woman's life, in that town, at that point. And I think Jesus begins this game, which I call, you say, I say. You say this, I say that. You say this, I say that. And you can do this all through your Bibles. Jesus says this, somebody else says that. So Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I say, I could do quite a few things, actually, on my own. 
If I'm left to my own devices, I'm, I'm quite good. I can do some good things on my own. You say, I say. Jesus says, a double-minded man or a person is unstable in all they do. I say a bit of inconsistency and compartmentalisation never hurt anybody. I can chop my life into blocks and pieces. doesn't really matter. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. And I say, seek first my own kingdom and everything else will be added. You say, I say. Again, a hinge pin of Christian faith. When you read the words of Jesus and he says this, how do you respond? You say, actually, God, you say that, but I say this. Or is there a submission and a response to the revelation that comes through God's word? Because every day you'll be faced with so many you say, I say moments in your life. Every day the choices that come when you're out and about, you say, God, I say. Question is, whose voice are you looking to for direction in your life? Are you looking to your own voice? Or are you looking to God's voice? Is God the greater? Is God the saviour? Is his voice the stronger? Because being spirit-led doesn't mean being weird or, or, or losing common to a revelation of someone who is greater, the person of Jesus Christ, by his spirit. It's recognising that he truly is bigger, greater. He's someone we can utterly depend on. Someone we can be utterly vulnerable before. As we talk about learning to listen and growing in responding to God, we, we can't get past these points. If you don't believe God is the greatest thing in your life, if you aren't prepared to be vulnerable before him, you cannot move into being more spirit-led. And that's just the nature of it. Because we have to go through these things. Just as the woman had to go through this painful experience of revealing to Jesus, this is who I am. I'm laying it all bare in front of you. I, I so want the living water that I'm prepared to go through this thing I've been trying to hide. And Jesus leads her into this transformed life where she leaves the water jug behind, she goes and tells, tells the town, and the whole town is transformed by her testimony. And they come out and meet Christ. So, if we want the living water, if we want the life of God, if we want the leading of God, we have to come to a point where we fully surrender to him. It says in Revelation, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. One day, the revelation of who Christ is will be revealed to all creation, past, past, present and future. We get the privilege of doing that now. We get the privilege of responding to God now. Of saying, I'm in the presence of someone greater. Someone whose voice is, is better than mine. I want to be vulnerable before that person. Because they can deliver on what they promise. I don't know how they're going to do it. I can't see a bucket. But they promised living water. They promised, in fact, they promised that streams of living water, springs would well up from in us. Jesus doesn't give us something that we have to keep. It's, it's, he puts something in us that causes a spring in us to well up. And so we overflow into people's lives and bring transformation. The people in that town didn't believe that Jesus was just a kind man showing compassion to a disenfranchised woman. They didn't believe he was just a great teacher full of wisdom. They didn't even believe he was a prophet 
who could see into their lives with great insight. They believed that he was the saviour of the world. And that invitation goes out to all of us every day. You know, you, you may have followed religion for a long time. You may, may have never fully surrendered the person of Jesus Christ. You may be starting out on this journey of trying to figure out who Jesus is. We're all that woman at the well. We're all being offered the living water. But it doesn't mean becoming vulnerable before him, recognising the truth of our situation and responding to him. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.